So how do we live the best kind of life? And what are the old mindsets that maybe we need to let die in order to fully experience the best kind of life? And sometimes there's good things that serve us well in one area that have unintended consequences in another area. That's one of the things we're going to talk about today in this Red Talk Jesus gave. Think of it this way. How many of us have really gotten our business, our life, our clients to a good place because we negotiated well for them and for ourselves, even demanded what they deserved? And that really served us well, our career well, and other people well in many, many ways. Now, the word demand maybe comes across a little bit wrong, so maybe you want to use the word advocate. We advocated for what we deserved. We demanded what we deserved, and we negotiated to make sure we got what we deserved. And that served us really, really well until we began to apply that to maybe our marriage. Right? And you tried to be a good spouse, you tried to do the right thing, you worked really hard, and then you noticed that your spouse wasn't working as hard as you were. And then that, I demand what I deserve, I begin to talk that way. And this mindset creeps in where you begin to think that the other person owes you. And there's a little sense of entitlement that comes in, and a sense that, you know what, look how hard I work around here, look at what I do, look what I served you, look how I helped you. Man, you owe me. The you owe me mindset. And nothing puts a disdain into any relationship like the sense that the other person owes you. Because then when you tell them you owe them, then they tell them that, well, you owe me. And now it's a race to the bottom. And I think another thing that happens, again, as much as negotiation is good and demanding is good and advocating is good, it also creates a a way of seeing yourself maybe more highly than you ought, right? Because I have a tendency to see everything good I did and I magnify it. And I see everything bad that my spouse or my kids or my employer or my employees do. And I have a tendency to minimize it. So I start thinking of myself more highly than I ought. And that demanding, I start to compare myself to others. Instead of enjoying just where I am and, and living and enjoying that moment, I begin to compare and say, well, what about compared to other people? Am I getting what I deserve compared to what they're deserving, then we start to kind of uproot some motivations inside of ourselves. Sometimes it's motivations of fear. If I don't demand my needs being met, it's not like I can trust them to meet them for me. No one's advocating for me. If you don't advocate for yourself, no one else is going to. And that I owe you mindset turns into a fear-based mindset of because no one else is advocating for me, I better advocate for myself, which then leads to a sense of entitlement. And I get angry at God, I get angry at life because life isn't getting me what I deserved. I get a chance to talk with couples often who've been married, and almost every couple I talk to who've been married for two years, ten years, thirty years, they all came into marriage with this belief, I am basically a good person. And I met some of those amazing, good people in the 30 years I've been doing ministry. And I always say, everybody's basically a good person until you don't get what you want. <laughs> it's when we don't get what we want, you find out what starts spilling out of you is a sense of resentment or demands or anger or frustration. That's where you find out, maybe I got some stuff I need to uproot. So Jesus has this amazing TED Talk he gives, and he's talking specifically to good moral, even religious people who in their goodness and in their morality and in their top-of-the-stack kind of conduct as a citizen, it's brought in an unintended consequence that they look down on other people, 
They get resentful at life and God when things don't go well. When they do go well, the demand mindset works well. But when it doesn't, they get very, very angry. I'll give you the point to the story before I tell the story. Jesus is going to say we're, always, we're all looking for the best deal, right? Who doesn't want the best deal? But we think we get the best deal with life, with God, with others by negotiating with our resume. Look what I've done. Look what I can do. Look what I've performed. That you get the best deal with God by negotiating with your resume. But God says you actually get the best deal from God when you capitulate to his character. When you surrender to his character. When you trust his character. When you say, I don't need to negotiate. I trust you to do what's best for me. Now with all the talk of recession, all the talk of economy, the word capitulation has been in the news a lot. You know, when are people going to finally capitulate, the sellers finally give up, and the, we know we've hit rock bottom and the, and the buyers come in. And what's bad news for one person is good news for another, right? To capitulate is failure. Capitulate is surrender. But Jesus is going to show that when you surrender, when you capitulate to God's character, trust him to reward you, all of a sudden your whole mindset changes. You move from what he calls a me-first mindset to a God-first mindset. The me-first mindset is I don't look out for me and for my needs and my wants and my desires. No one's going to do it for me. A God-first mindset says I'm going to put God first, others second, myself third, and I'm going to find fulfillment by serving others and trust God to take care of the compensation. All right, let me tell you the story. So the story is really about a, a me-first mindset. It begins. And a me-first mindset is really when I trust my ability to negotiate what I deserve. I'm going to negotiate, and I'm a good negotiator. And that negotiation, you've done well. It's served you well in many places in your life. However, that negotiation is not going to serve well in the story. Jesus, let me tell you a story. The kingdom of heaven, God's economy, how God thinks about stuff, it's like a, a landowner who owned a vineyard. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And, and one day, he decides to hire some people. So a typical day's work is 6 a.m. is when the day begins to 6 p.m. So he talks to a group of folks at 6 a.m. And they're negotiating. And they say, tell you what, we'll work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. But you've got you to gotta agree, landowner, even though it's your, your business and your vineyard. You've got to agree to our terms. And our terms are, you pay us a whole denarius. A whole denarius. To work from six to six a day's wage. So they've negotiated and they're feeling pretty proud. I, I got a deal. I got the landowner to pay me a full denarius for working a full day. And they're feeling pretty good about that. And so the landowner agrees to pay the 6 a.m. people a full denarius for a day's work. Well, they start working out in the vineyard. So the landowner goes out at 9 a.m. It's called the third hour because they base everything on 6 a.m. So at the third hour, he goes out to a group of people at the marketplace who are idle. They're not working. He says, hey, do you guys want to come work in my vineyard? Oh, we'd love to. He says, tell you what, no negotiation. If you'll just trust me and my character, I will pay you whatever is right and I'll give it to you. Like These are the worst negotiators ever. They don't even try to negotiate. They just say, we trust the vineyard owner. We trust him to give what's right and to do what's right. So 9 a.m., they go out to work in the vineyard. The landowner does the same thing again at noon, the sixth hour. He does the same thing again at the ninth hour, 3 p.m. He keeps bringing different groups of people, and the next three groups, all of them say the same thing. I will give you what is right if you'll just trust my character. 
Well, then, it's almost the end of the day. It's like, you know, 5 p.m., the 11th hour. And he goes out one more time. He sees a few people at the marketplace. He says, hey, tell you what, do you want to come work for me? Yeah, we've been waiting around all day to get hired. Come work for me, even though it's the 11th hour, and I'll pay you what is right, and I'll pay you what is good. And they, again, capitulate his character. They don't try and negotiate. They said, that's what will do. So they trust him. So sure enough, it's now 6 p.m. It's the end of the day. And the landowner decides to pay everybody in front of everybody. And to do that, he decides to pay them all in reverse order. Where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So here's the people who have been working since 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3, and 5. Some people only worked for an hour. So the first group he pays is the 5 p.m. people who have only worked for an hour. And he says to the 5 p.m. people, you know what? Well done. I want to give you a denarius, a whole day's wage. <gasps> Holy cow! A whole day's wage? This is the best deal I've ever heard of! And they head home. Then he pays the 9 p.m. people, the 3 p.m. people, the ninth hour people, a denarius. This is incredible! He pays the noon people a denarius. This is the best deal ever. He pays the 9 a.m. people a denarius. And then the 6 a.m. people are thinking, man, if he paid them for only working half day, part day that, they're going to pay. He, who knows what we're going to get. It's going to be amazing. And they step up in front of him, and he pays them a denarius. They each received a denarius. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner. This is ridiculous. This is not fair. Isn't that what you negotiated? See, you thought you'd get the best deal by negotiating with me. These people just trusted my character. Who got the best deal? The people who negotiated based on their own resumes? Or the people who capitulated my character to do what was right and generous? And here's their complaint. They say... You, it's like you made the 5 p.m. people and the 3 p.m. people and the 12 p.m. people equal to us. That's not right. That's not fair. And the landowner says, friend, I'm not doing you any wrong. Did you not agree to these wages? I'm doing exactly what I said. And what does the story have to do with anything? Well, there's a tendency in both religious people and irreligious people comes out here. So religious people who call themselves Christians or call themselves people of faith start thinking that because they're obedient, because they read the Bible, because they pray, they made this deal with God that God owes them more. And then when God or life doesn't give them the circumstances they think they're owed or deserve, they get very, very angry. I just talked to two friends recently who said, you know, I'm just giving up my faith. Why? Because I did my part. I did the right thing. I obeyed. I went to church. I read the Bible. I gave money. And I just found out I got a cancer report. And I don't know if I can believe in a God who, when I do my part, doesn't do his part. And they're grumbling at the landowner because this doesn't seem like a good deal at all. Somebody else told me, I said, I just haven't been in church for a while because one of my children are just going off 
on a path I shouldn't be on, and I know they shouldn't be on, and, and God, I made a deal with you, whether you know it or not, I made a deal that if I was a good mom and a good dad, I should have obedient kids, and my kids aren't being obedient, and God, I'm angry at you, I don't want to have faith in a God who doesn't deliver what he promised. And that's why good people and moral people and religious people can actually be some of the most angry people. Because the minute God doesn't deliver on what he's supposed to do, they get very angry at God, very mad at God, and very frustrated at God. But the same thing's true if maybe you're a skeptic toward Christianity and, and, and you've heard this argument, you've said this argument, you believe this argument. It's the same argument they made here in the vineyard. You're telling me that I can spend my whole life doing good things, trying to serve people, not being some murderer, not being some you know, serial adulterer, and you're telling me that at the fifth hour there can be some deathbed confession of some murderer who says, well, ask Jesus into my heart, and God's going to get him into heaven? No, thank you. I don't want to have anything to do with a God like that. Right? And Jesus is saying religious people and irreligious people have the same basic problem. They think they're better than other people. They look down on other people. They compare themselves to the people. They think life and karma owes them because of how good they've been. They think God owes them. And when they don't get what they deserve, they get very angry, giving up their previous faith or not even looking at faith. And we all look, you know, dressed up here for Sunday. We all look like we got our act together, right? Even though there was a fight in the car on the way here, and even though somebody had to be quieter, come on, we're going to church now. We behave in church. Right, we're all like that. We look really good on the outside. But I want to propose to you that many of us, we've made a deal with God, and God isn't keeping his end of the deal. And that's why we gave up on faith, or we surrendered our faith, or we're wrestling with faith, is because behind our facade, behind the blue eyes of our pretty, our, our pretty look of, of, of Christian people or church-going people, we're angry at God. We're sad at God. We are resentful that God would be gracious to other people who haven't worked as hard, prayed as hard, been as moral, been as, as good of a leader as we have. Now, I got to admit, it's hard to do this. I mean, even the last couple of years with having a son with special needs and having a wife who had two back surgeries, and I mean, I was angry at life and God a lot. And I doubled down, right? I'm going to be twice as good, twice as moral, and God's going to see how much he owes me. Right? <laughs> he... he Look, I'm doing my part here, right? And, and the more I did, the more I padded my resume and negotiated my resume, the angrier I got because it wasn't changing the things I couldn't change. And maybe you've allowed a good thing, like padding a good resume and good, being a good moral thing, but behind the scenes, if we could really see behind you, you've struggled with some of the same complaining against God, complaining against your spouse, that entitlement mindset. I think there's three reasons why we do that. Number one, we negotiate with God and others because we're not sure we can count anybody else to look out for us. Can we really trust God to reward us if we did get cancer, if our kids aren't obedient? Can we trust that his bigger plan is better than this chapter we don't like? The second thing we kind of learned from this and the reason we negotiate is I expect that my performance, my resume is going to give me the best deal. I can't imagine that trusting God's character is going to get a better deal than my resume because we got incredible resumes in this room, Right? And we just keep padding our resume. Not even padding in a bad way. We just keep building our resume. And our resume becomes the very problem because we can't imagine there's a better deal out there than what we can negotiate ourselves. But then when life or God doesn't give us what we want, we grumble. 
we get resentful. Behind those blue eyes are anger and sadness. We're angry at God for giving us what we did deserve or what we did negotiate. Or we're angry that God gave other people more than they deserve. I can't believe that God would forgive a, a, a murderer. I can't believe that God would let somebody who's not as moral as me into heaven. Right? It's really, I can't believe God would put somebody else's needs first and elevate them equal to me. So let's talk about that moving from negotiating with your resume to could you really trust God's character, the landowner's character, like the 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 5 o'clock people did. Well, maybe the real question comes down to is God really good and would be handing my present and future into his hands uh, be a good deal. I mean, imagine if, if you got your MBA, you probably remember one of the classic examples they give is the Time Warner AOL merger with Steve Case. If you remember, uh, Time Warner was into magazines at the time. They're looking to get in the internet, and AOL was at the top of the stack. Remember, their, 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 their stock price was higher than ever. Now it's like, does anyone have AOL? My parents, I have to email my parents on AOL. No one else has AOL. Sorry if you have AOL. <laughs> but AOL was at the top of the stack, and Steve Case, who'd been partnering with and negotiating with, and he finally got this meeting with, with Time Warner. And, and as they began to talk, he got Time Warner, who wanted to get in the internet business, to buy them at the top of their price. Little knowing that Earthlink and Microsoft were quickly catching up to their business model. And not knowing that the tech bubble was going to crash in the next 18 months. So Steve Case negotiates this incredible deal where he's able to sell AOL at the top of the stack, switch over to an even more valuable now Time Warner stock, and as they always do, they put you on the board, and then everything kind of falls apart, and then they're kind of like, well, Steve, get out of here. You know, you're not much help, and, and it becomes like this incredible negotiated deal. They just cannot believe that he was able to negotiate this deal. And if I told you that, listen, I don't know how it's all going to work out. There might be some highs and lows, but you got Steve Case negotiating for you. Whatever deal you think you're going to get, trust him. You might say, okay, well, if he's the person I'm trusting, maybe. Or maybe you know a little about Sam Adams, if you know about, about the founder of a Adams Beer. In the, in the book, The Search for God in Guinness, it talks about his just love for helping people. He loved serving people. He loved helping people. He was a Christian. He even started... Um, um, the Guinness beer because he wanted something that was nutritious made out of corn. So he developed that to come against the alcoholism in the country at the time. And he helped with literacy programs as a Christian. He just, the whole business model was built off that. However, it comes time to negotiate the land deal on where they're going to put the brewery. And you've got to imagine this deal, right? So here's, here's Arthur Guinness, turns to this guy, says, hey, we'd like to make a deal. How much to rent your land for the brewery per year? This guy's on the other end of the thing. Like, yeah, 45 pounds a year. Arthur's like, really? That's, that's pretty steep for a time. But how long would you extend that deal? As long as you want. Would you go for nine years? I'd go for nine years. 45 pounds a year for nine years. Arthur's like, how about would you go for 90 years? I'd go for 90 years, yeah. Arthur says, would you go for 900 years? I guess I'd go for 900 years. He goes, then let's make it 9,000 years. And Arthur Guinness got a 9,000-year contract on the place of Guinness beer today for 45 pounds a year. Now, if that guy's negotiating with you, you're like, I'll capitulate to his character, right? 
So for many of us, the reason we don't trust God is because we don't really think he's that good of a negotiator. We don't really think he's going to do what's right. We don't think he's really going to give us the best deal. But if I told you, maybe you like what's going on with Elon Musk. You never know how he's negotiating. Or maybe it's Steve Case. Or maybe it's Arthur Guinness. But God, Jesus is saying, if you get to know the Father I know, even if temporarily you don't like the ups and downs, what happens in this life, I'm telling you, the best deal comes from trusting his character. And you move from a me first, I trust my ability to negotiate, to a God first mindset. I'm going to put God first, other second, and myself third. I'm going to trust not my ability to negotiate, but his ability to compensate more than I deserve. And if he ends up being more generous to other people than I would have, you know what? I'm glad I got somebody negotiating with me who's generous. Because the same guy who's generous to other people will be generous to me. Let's fix up our story. So Jesus tells a story. So the people have been grumbling, complaining that you've made those people. Remember, he's talking to religious leaders who are looking down, the Jew, Jewish leaders looking down at the Gentiles, these moral people looking down at prostitutes. I can't believe God would forgive prostitutes. He let those kind of tax collectors into the kingdom. All of that's what's going on in this, this story, this TED Talk, this Red Talk. He says, you guys think you're better than other people. You've got a me-first attitude. You think you 6 a.m.ers are better than the 9 a.m.ers. And this is, not a, this is not a parable about how to compensate. The Bible has lots to say about compensating people based on how hard they work. And if they work harder, you pay them more. That's not, this is not a compensation at work. This is a how to think about God kind of parable. So here's what happens. They come and they're complaining. And he says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree? You negotiated, right? You chose to negotiate based on your resume for a denarius. Take what is yours and go your way. Enjoy it. You thought you'd get the best deal? You got the deal you got. However, he says, if I wish to this last man, the same as you, I want to be generous to him, if I want to be kind to him, if I want to be generous with my money, if I want to be generous with my goods, is it right for you to compare yourself, even though you got what, what I said I would do? Is it right for you to compare yourself to other people to be so full of envy and anger and frustration? Just because I'm a generous person? You should have trusted my generosity to begin with. He goes on, he says, is it not lawful for me to do what I want with my own stuff? Of course it is. It's my stuff. It's my vineyard. Or is your evil eye because I am good? What a weird phrase. Is your eye evil because I am good? See, you're saying you shouldn't be so generous to those people, but what you really mean is, you want more than you negotiated and you're trapped in your own deal. Next time, capitulate to my character. I'll zoom in on that phrase here. Is your eye evil because I am good? It's a weird phrase. To understand the phrase, you need to know that Jesus is a Jewish rabbi and this idea of a good eye and a bad eye or an evil eye comes out of the book of Proverbs. Because he's saying, does your evil eye get mad because I am good for the last shall be first and the first shall be last? He says, when you start seeing life through my economy, you realize if I put my needs last and I serve my spouse, I know I'll be first in heaven. God will reward me. Life will reward me. When, when I decide that I'm going to put myself last or at least third, God, others, third, that mindset of serving others, putting my needs last, putting my wants last, the last shall be first in heaven. And if I'm first now, I'm always demand, 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 me, 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 that's fine. But when you put yourself first, you're going to end up last. You're going to be surprised that it destroys your marriages and it destroys your life and it doesn't bring the satisfaction you want. But if instead 
of living enviously and self-centeredly and me firstly. If you live with others first, I'm going to put myself last, I'm going to put other people first, God will reward you both now and later for that mindset in a way that will be the best deal you can imagine. I'm going to go back to Proverbs. He says, do you have an evil eye? The opposite of an evil eye is a good eye. In the book of Proverbs, it says, he who has a generous eye, and the word generous eye in Hebrew is the word for a good eye. Good eye, mate. He's Australian. Who knew that Hebrew is Australian? God's Australian. Good eye, mate. So he who has a good eye, a generous eye, will be blessed. And he who gives his bread to the poor. So in the Old Testament, a Jewish rabbi would speak about having a good eye. An eye who sees other people's needs. Yes, I may feel like I've given more in my marriage right now, but what does my spouse need right now? Do they need comfort? Do they need me to apologize first? Do they need respect? Do they need appreciation as why they're having a bad day? When you continue to have a good eye, where you look for ways to serve the people around you, it will fill you up. Even at the moment, it's like, I'm not going to put their needs ahead of my own. All right, well, put your needs ahead of your own and see how that works out. Get two people in marriage, both always focused on themselves, and watch how they quickly deteriorate into a bad relationship. However, you have a good eye. Always looking for ways that I can put the other person first, serve other people, care for other people. You will be blessed, and you will find the best deal from God. What does it look like to have a good eye? It's what we're about as a church. It's how do we teach each other how to serve each other, how to love each other, how to live with this, this new kind of mindset of the last shall be first and the first shall be last. What does it look like in our marriage? What does it look like in our companies? What does it look like with our parents? What does it look like with our kids? What kind of relationships and community would we have if everybody was about serving other people first, right? Maybe you are with us about a month and a half ago where my friend Chris shared her story about not being a follower of Jesus and coming to our church. And as she was in that journey, she felt loved and appreciated that our church was about creating a comfortable environment for her. Didn't believe, might never believe the way you want, but man, she's felt so welcomed and cared for in our church. Then she spoke about 15 years ago, we did a, a painting by my friend Mark of Jesus, and it just became the moment for her that for whatever reason, she began to see that Jesus, God, came to serve her and she began to believe, and she wanted to go and live that mindset out, trusting God is real and Jesus is real. So when she did her interview, I said, hey, we're going to, you spoke about that painting. I'm going to ask Mark to come back and, and redo that painting. If you're here about a month and a half ago, we did that. What you may not know is I was talking to her out in the atrium a week before. I said, hey, next week we're showing your video, and we are going to repaint that painting, and we're going to have the band do Red Rain again. I said, I want you to know that we're going to give you one of the paintings. She's one of our greeters, so she not only was served by our church, she now serves you. You probably have seen Chris serve you when you come in the door. I told her we are going to give her one of the paintings, and her, her, her knees buckled, and she threw her arms around me, gave me a big kiss. I had to call the elders up. I got women kissing me at church. It's really unbelievable. It's just really funny. She was just so overwhelmed and so thankful. So that Sunday came. Mark doesn't know her story yet. So the video is playing of Chris, and Mark is over here painting, and he's got two paintbrushes in his hand, as he often does, and he's watching this story about some painting he did 15 years ago. So impacted somebody that their life was changed, their perspective was changed, their eternity was changed, their whole life significance was changed. He said, Chet, I couldn't finish painting. I was crying. He goes, you guys can't be showing those videos before I paint. I'm literally in tears, and now I'm trying to paint Jesus. 
Because I got to see how God used one of my gifts of trying to serve people to impact somebody. And so that day we got a picture of Mark and Chris together. Our DNA as a church is about serving other people. Having a good eye toward others. Putting God first and other people. We had a funeral a few weeks ago. Jim Statmiller, many of you know Jim. I know Jim only the last 15 years. The funeral, this place was packed. Johnny Bench was here talking about Jim's impact in his life. And, and everybody in, who was in the room talked about WLW and all the ways that he impacted their life. And I didn't know any of that about Jim. Jim was the guy who got bagels. Because he wanted to know how to serve you and I. Jim is the guy who parked the cars and always made the joke every Sunday. Yep, successful day. No cars in the lake. <laughs> Jim's the guy who went down to City Gospel to serve people. But we got to hear at that funeral, which is really a funeral is our chance to serve people in their grief. We got to hear about how Jim's life radically changed because of what he found here at Horizon and his understanding of who Jesus is. And it was in the midst of that that everyone saw something real, something better in Jim's life. And as he faced death and died, you know, a couple, several weeks ago, people could not see, imagine the peace and the confidence and the love he had and what he had found here. But what I saw in Jim the last 15 years I've known him is this. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. He just kept serving. And maybe you've been coming to our church for five, ten years Maybe you've been coming for just a couple of years and you've been served well by greeters, by people with your kids, by a facility that's here. Maybe you're like, you know what, I, I want to be part of a community that's done all this work to serve me. How can I be part of serving somebody who's going to come next month, next year, next decade? How can I serve with my time? Where do you need me, coach? Put me in. Where, do you, where can I use my talent? I can run PowerPoint. I can cut out crafts. I've got some leadership skills. Maybe my money, financially. How can I financially have a good eye toward what God's doing? I want to give, be part of creating environments and buying tents and getting cameras and things that help other people. Maybe for you, having a good eye is serving God's work here at Horizon. Or maybe it's the specific things we do to help those around us. Just this week, we had a group of women gathered together, and one of the things they did is that they packed meals for inter-parish ministries. And we just had a whole group of folks came together and said, we want to have a good eye. We want the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Let's serve those in our community. Let's pack meals to prepare kids who don't have the resources they need to go back to school. Or maybe you know we do work with one of the most impoverished areas in the country with Happy Church. And they got flooded, a seven-foot flood that destroyed their basement and all their area. And so we're sending teams down to serve with Happy Church and to bring the needs they want and the imperishables they need. And there's information on our website about that. Maybe you want to have a good eye toward the needs in our immediate community. One of the poorest areas in the country is within a, an hour drive of this place, and, and it's one of the places we serve. I don't know, what does it look like for you to have a first shall be last, last shall be first mindset in your marriage, in our church? How does that affect your calendar? How does it affect your checkbook? How does it affect your mindset? <laughs> is it time to maybe repent, return from that me-centered, you-owe-me mindset into a how-can-I-serve-others mindset? That's my challenge to you is let's replace the old mindset with the new. Let's make a decision today to replace the me-first resume plan with the me-last God's compensation plan. You can get the best deal in life, Jesus is telling this TED Talk, by, by replacing that me-first resume plan 
that does have some benefits. I like my resume. I bet you like yours. But what if I replace that with a me last pension plan? I'm going to trust God's pension plan. I don't need all my reward now. I'll take a bigger reward later. Let me tell you one more story because it speaks to our church. Early on in our church, going back 20 years, we wanted to find a place that people could come, friends of ours who could explore, that we could create a facility to facilitate what I'm describing today, this other-centered mindset. So a group of our, our team members and leaders began to negotiate on land. And we were doing all the right things, all the you know, good-hearted negotiation to find a place to serve other people. And so we found a couple pieces of property up, up in Indian Hill and some residential areas and thought we could work with some rezoning. And it became pretty quick that we could not work on rezoning. And the realtor that we bought the property is like, could you please sell that back because people are angry at me for selling it to you. All right, so that didn't work out real well, but, but we're negotiating. And we found another incredible piece of property in, in Camp Denison. We offered them much more than the property was worth. In fact, you couldn't get someone to offer what we offered 20 years ago for that property today. And they said no. Good-hearted leaders, trying to be good stewards, did the offer, backed off, tried to negotiate. Came back six months later, tweaked it a little bit, still nothing. Meanwhile, the whole time we've been praying about this property, one of our, our leaders kept going by this property and saying, but wouldn't it be great if we could have that golf course? Yeah, it's not for sale. We've talked, it's not for sale. So then the gravel pit, up in Indian Hill by the, uh, by the Winter Club was going for sale. And one of our leaders who's big into ecology, I'm, all of us uh, love the environment and, and feel like we need to care for it, but this person does a lot of work with, with caring for animals and caring for the endangered species and, and work all over the world, really. And they, he came to one of the board meetings where we're looking at maybe negotiating on the, the gravel pit. And somebody came and presented the greatest duck demonstration you've ever heard in your life. It was two hours of all ducks. All the ducks that were involved in the, the pit and it should never be developed, it should never be worked on, talking like none of us cared about the environment, cared about the animals, after a two-hour quack, quack duck presentation, one of the board members in Indian Hill was like, wow, I had no idea there were so many ducks in the gravel pit. To which the presenter said, oh, most of these ducks are from Connecticut, but they might one day land here. So after the two-hour duck display, this property became available because this other golf course went in play, and we got a heck of a deal. People began to say, let's invest in a place to serve other people for the future. People made four-year pledges. Two years later, people started making two-year pledges because this property you're on right now used to be 12 feet beneath you. We had to move 120,000 truck, 120,000 cubic yards of dirt, that's 120 truckloads a day for 90 days, inspiring many new ordinances in Merrimont and Indian Hill. <laughs> so that dirt came down, a lot from Nordstrom's, got dumped here to get in the floodplain, and during that year, people were making pledges, four-year pledges. Then other people came in making two-year pledges. More people came and gave one-year pledges. Let's create a place that people can discover who God is, find their purpose, find their plan. And then 2008, financial crash hits. We have been negotiating with good heart the whole time, but nobody could negotiate as well as God did. A property we couldn't get to sell suddenly came for sale. People giving and waiting on dirt. We've waited on dirt and prayed for dirt for four years, and yet all that faithful giving from all those folks who gave four-year pledges, two-year pledges, money was now in the bank in 2008 when everything crashed, and we were able to build this facility 
for pennies on the dollar because no one was building in 2008 except us. And we were able to build this entire facility debt-free because of the faithfulness of God that his negotiating ability was far better than our own. Now, it doesn't always look that good, and you can't always see it this side of heaven. But I'm just encouraging you, don't negotiate with your own resume when you can capitulate to the character of a God who's that smart. We invite the band to come out, because our church is really about that, creating a place where you can deepen your belief, a place that thinkers can believe and believers can think. That's what we're about. Or we can comfortably connect you to God, and you can find the same kind of confidence Jim found when he came face to face with death, that he knew for sure he was going to be in heaven, not based on his resume, but based on Jesus' resume. That you can have the kind of mindset that says, how do I serve other people in my family, serve my enemies, serve those in my community? How do I have that kind of belief, and how can all of us walk away and be the kind of people who have such belief that we put others first and ourselves second?